Today from the global lane, going nuclear, will Biden stop Iran? I think U.S. is going to cave regardless of the administration. Protests and arrests in Myanmar, military junta monitoring dissident communications with help from China. The internet is being censored and they're telling everybody they have to go through the Chinese servers. Church doctrine and apologies for Pastor Max Licato's appearance at America's National Cathedral. I really don't believe that a Christian should ever be apologizing for um, any sort of scriptural beliefs that they hold. And Joe Biden's gender order, unfair to 168 million females? And it's all right here on the Global Lane. Iran may be just weeks away from having enough highly enriched uranium to produce a nuclear bomb. And the Iranian Minister of Intelligence warns the Islamic Republic may move forward if sanctions against the country are not lifted. If a cat is cornered, it may show a kind of behavior that a free cat would not. If Iran is pushed in that direction, then it wouldn't be Iran's fault, but those who pushed it. Under normal circumstances, Iran does not have such a program and intent at all. Here with more is Sargis Sangari, Mr. Sangari is CEO of the Near East Center for Strategic Engagement. Good to talk to, with you again, Sargas. So Secretary of State Antony Blinken told NBC News recently that if Iran lifts constraints from the 2015 nuclear agreement, they could be just a few weeks away from possessing enough enriched uranium for a nuclear bomb. So how likely do you think that is to happen? It's good to be here uh, again, Gary. Uh, reality is that regardless if they have the bomb or they are close to having it, as long as they're able to use it in negotiations, I think U.S. is going to cave regardless of the administration. We haven't had a coherent foreign policy with Iran going back to 1979 uh, under all the administrations that uh, have come along. So. It's a matter of whether or not we are going to take the bluff. Uh, the current administration is going to remove the uh, uh, foreign terrorist organization designation on the Houthis in Yemen. That's probably going to be the back door that is going to be used in order to negotiate with Iran for a possibility of a, another possible JCPOA. Well, the Ayatollah has issued a fatwa. That's an Islamic edict banning the uh, creation of a nuclear bomb. Explain what he would do and how that might influence political decisions to move forward to a nuclear bomb development? Well, these are just talking points from the Iranian leadership in order to be able to open the door for negotiations. Iran is still strong within the region, is currently in a fight with Turkey to try to expand its influence in Syria, in Yemen, in Libya, um, in Lebanon. So uh, Iran's uh, ability to reach out for its foreign policy based on the manifest destiny that Ayatollah Khomeini gave it in 1979, where he said that the road to Jerusalem was through Karbala is still their driving mode and mechanism by which Iran executes its foreign policy. However, Iran does understand that American U.S. foreign policy is a two-year policy with the change of Congress and uses the uh, requirements and the rhetoric in order to be able to strike possibility and easing of the sanctions. As long as we are able to ease sanctions on Iran, Iran will continue to move forward. So, Sargas, it seemed that uh, President Trump moved us away from Iran and the Shiites, and now Joe, uh, Joe Biden's moving us back to them. Uh, well, the reality is that we need to develop a foreign policy for the region. And the foreign policy for the region cannot be just based on the fact that we cannot allow Iran to have a nuclear bomb. In 1979, uh, when we had Iran break away 
uh, Iran, the Shah for us was a counter to communist Russia, uh, the same as he was a counter prior to us moving into the region, into Iran for the uh, British. However, with that said, when Iran flipped and did not become a communist nation and became an Islamic nation, our foreign policy really didn't change in the region. We still were working in a deterrence against uh, uh, Russia, so we decided to put our chips in the bowl of Saddam and support him to counter communist expansion within the region. So for us to be able to achieve any type of a victory in the Middle East, we have to have a foreign policy. And for the past 40 years, I would argue that we have never had a foreign policy that really looked at Iran, except a possible two-year policies where we kind of shift to ensure that maybe they do not have the weapon technologies that might lead to a nuclear weapon. Well, it seems like we always kick the can down the road. You're not very optimistic about the Biden administration, does it sound like? Well, I'm, they're going to try. Like I said, they will negotiate uh, with, through the Houthis. Uh, Kerry was already negotiating with Iran with backdoor channels before the uh, administrations changed. Uh, he was even working, uh, hoping that if there was a current change in leadership with uh, President Trump leaving and not President Biden coming in, uh, it would be possible that we could go back to the old Obama policies. Foreign policy for the U.S. and the Middle East is very uh, uh, difficult to change overall um, because Middle East is just a volatile place. If you think about it, one individual in Tunisia burns himself and the entire region explodes in the Arab Spring. We don't know when the next individual who may put himself in a position where it might lead to a different type of Arab Spring for the region. It's interesting you mentioned uh, the Arab Spring, now 10 years, uh, the 10th year anniversary. Also in the Middle East, earlier this month in Lebanon, uh, political activist publisher Lokman Slim was shot to death. His body was discovered in South Lebanon, riddled with six bullets. Slim was an outspoken critic of Hezbollah. Let's listen to his wife, Monica Borgman, who said Lokman wasn't doing anything different uh, than he had been doing in the last few years. She wants an international investigation. It's mainly Hezbollah, and um, but for me, it's not enough to say, um, okay, we know his enemies, and that's it. No, for me, it is important really also on a symbolic level to have this investigation. So, Sargas, tell us your thoughts about Lokman Slim. Uh, as his wife asks, why was he murdered now, and how likely is an investigation? The problem in the Middle East is that organizational structures that are created, like the Hezbollah and other organizational structures, tend to have an internal cleansing uh, now and then. And it's just an unfortunate piece, and I don't want to look at it from a callous perspective, but these things happen in the Middle East. These things happen internal to organizations. It is not something tied to a larger strategic issue or policy. It is just a matter of a reshuffling of leadership internal to those organizations. However, with that said, when we do not have a foreign policy for the Middle East, the Iranians read it as one that says, go ahead and do what you're doing, because if the uh, American government was interested, regardless of the administration, for a long-term solution for the region, 
then they would have taken steps forward to create a long-term foreign policy because we do not create one from administration to administration. Iran takes it as a green light to move forward. Okay, looking at the long term, Sargas Ungari, thank you for keeping an eye on Lebanon and Iran, and we appreciate your insights. Talk to you again. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless. Widespread protests continue to roil the Southeast Asian nation of Myanmar three weeks after a military coup. Now security forces are intensifying their crackdown against those demanding a return to civilian rule. The number of protesters reduced yesterday, so the military took advantage of that and brought military vehicles onto the streets to intimidate the people. Ongoing arrests of political leaders, government officials, civil society actors and media representatives are deeply concerning as are the restrictions on the internet and communication services. And the regime may reportedly be getting some help from the Chinese. Well, here to explain more is someone who has spent much time in Myanmar over the years helping the people there, especially widows and orphans. Patrick Klein is the founder and director of the Wyoming-based Vision Beyond Borders. Patrick, it's good to talk with you again. So what have you learned? What are your friends and contacts in Myanmar, also known as Burma, uh, saying to you about this crackdown and possible Chinese involvement. Well, thank you, Gary. Um, our contacts are saying that in Yangon, a lot of the Christians and the pastors and ministers are out in the streets and to join the, the, the movement against the military. Um, they're very supportive of that work. Even though the churches are still closed down with the COVID, the Christians are out demonstrating in the streets. But in the tribal areas, it's a lot more different. Um, actually, the people are very, very scared, especially among the Karen people. They're very nervous, and everybody's scared that the British, the, sorry, that the Burmese military will come back into power. We've heard that uh, some Chinese uh, troops may actually have been present in Yangon or elsewhere in Burma. What, what have you heard about that? Yes, we've heard that there are troops on the ground. Um, our contact, our main contact, said that they've actually seen Russian and Chinese diplomats around the around the main capital city of Yangon, which is actually Naypyidaw is the capital, but the major city is Yangon. So they're seeing a lot of uh, diplomats around, but they're also seeing they're saying there's six flights a day coming in from Kunming, China, into Yangon. Six flights a day, whereas. Uh, we tried to go into Burma a couple of weeks ago, and they said that all the flights were cut off. So that's interesting that there's flights, six flights a day coming in from mainland China. And, and some of them with soldiers on them. As far as we know, yes, there are a lot of soldiers coming in. There's quite a military buildup. China is supporting this. So even when there's sanctions put on, which, you know, it's nice to put sanctions on, but the Burmese military doesn't care about the sanctions because China will continue to trade with them. And so it doesn't really affect the Burmese military that much after all. Well, the Chinese get a lot of minerals, uh, precious minerals and so forth from Burma. Uh, tin, I guess Burma uh, does about a third of the tin in the world. So, But Patrick, we're also hearing that the Chinese internet firewall and message monitoring software and technology is being used to prevent the spread of information in the country. What do you know about that? Are they shutting things down and are they using Chinese software? Yes, they are being forced to use Chinese software. Uh, their internet is being censored. 
And um, I'd read a report when it first happened, the coup happened, that the Chinese said, oh, there's just been a reshuffling in the cabinet. Uh, people are fine. Everybody's talking about on the streets. They're laughing and having a good time. So China's reporting something totally different to, to their country, to their people. But yet they're censoring everything that's going on inside Burma, and they're telling everybody they have to go through the Chinese servers. Uh, the Burmese as well are saying that. Yes, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, the Burmese, everything has to go through the, through the Chinese servers. Well, we've also received unverified reports that police are storming into the houses of teachers, doctors, lawyers, and activists uh, without a warrant in the middle of the night and making arrests. So what can you tell us about that? What have you heard? We've heard the same things happening. We've also heard that they've released about 2,000 criminals from the prisons. These criminals are going out and wreaking havoc, and then the government uses that, the military uses that as a way to crack down and put more restrictions on the people. So we are hearing they are arresting people. Um, we heard even tanks were moved into Lokau, one of the uh, tribal cities. And, you know, the, the Burmese are really building up their military. And the concern is, the greatest concern is among the tribal people. Well, tell us about that. What effect is this having on Myanmar churches? You mentioned it briefly, but also the tribal people. I know Christians fear return to extreme persecution that they experienced 15, 20 years ago. Right. People are very, very scared. Among the Karen, there's 4,000 internally displaced peoples in the, in the, inside Burma. And a thousand of those are Christians, and they're very scared. Our contacts actually have an orphanage. It's kind of between the Karen Army's uh, military base and also the Burmese military army base. And they said that, that this uh, orphanage is right in the middle, and it's also right at part of a village. And they're all ready to run at a moment's notice when the Burmese military move in and go into that that village. Well, so for good are reason, very, right? Very scared. For, for a good reason, based good on their reason. past. Now, I know Vision Beyond Borders has been helping widows and orphans for many years, other people, uh, especially among the ethnic minority there. How is all this affecting your work there, Patrick? You know, it's it, we've been able to get funds in to help provide food, um, but they're saying food prices are really going up. And what we're concerned is they're shutting down the banks uh, everything is being closed down, and so we won't. We don't know how much longer we can get money in to help these orphanages and help support the the widows and the people that are really suffering in the villages. Okay, a lot to be in prayer about for Myanmar, also known as Burma. Patrick Klein, director of Vision Beyond Borders. Thank you for sharing your time and insights today, Patrick. Appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Gary. Earlier this month, clergy at the Washington National Cathedral came under fire for inviting evangelical pastor-author Max Licato to deliver a sermon there. Members of the LGBTQ community said he should not have been allowed to speak because of his past statements on homosexuality and same-sex marriage. Church leaders apologized but said they only wanted to open their doors to perspectives different from their own. Locato also apologized, saying a sermon he delivered on same-sex marriage back in 2004 may have been disrespectful and hurtful. Well, here to set us straight on how progressive ideology is infiltrating American sanctuaries is Lucas Miles. Pastor Miles is author of the new book, The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. So, Pastor Miles, how is it that both the Washington Cathedral and Max Locato apologized for offending the LGBTQ community. 
you know, I mean, first off, it's not a surprise that we've seen, you know, the pressure from the side of the cathedral and certainly kind of the Episcopal group that's uh, that's behind that invitation to him. You know, it's I think that there have been a lot of denominations and and some of our nation's churches that have been drifting into what I call these divergent backwaters of progressive uh, theology and and liberal ideology. And we've seen that already within Jewish synagogues over the years. And now we're seeing that much more so in the church and what started more uh, problems within you know the academic setting has now trickled down to our pastors and ultimately into the pews. So it really begins in the seminaries and the Bible schools. So how do evangelicals other than uh, and other conservative Christians, I should say, avoid being labeled racist, homophobes, Islamophobes? And, and now a new one that the dean of the Washington Cathedral talked about, a person of straight privilege. I've never heard that one before. Aren't those reactions simply consequences, though, of speaking biblical truths? Your thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, it, it's Christians have been throughout the centuries called all sorts of names. Actually, if you study Jerome and early church history, you know he was he was writing to Caesar and and uh, having to uh, set the record straight because people believed that Christians were incestual or that they were even cannibals because we consumed the body and blood of Jesus and because we called each other brothers and sisters and you know would have what they called these love fests of services. And so you know Christians have been misunderstood for a long time. If you understand the gospel and you understand, you know, really what I call a historical biblical view of Christianity, what you see is that Christian, the Christian uh, uh, religion is not, it's not bigoted. It's not, uh, uh, it's not fundamentalist in that way. It is a message of love. It is inclusive in that Christ died for the sins of the whole world, but it's also exclusive in that you have to receive that by faith. And I really don't believe that a Christian should ever be apologizing for um, any sort of scriptural belief that they hold. Well, I know some aspects of socialism are attractive uh, to many Christians, especially things like sharing what you have with others. After all, didn't John the Baptist say that if you have two shirts, you should share one and your food with those who have none? But this shift toward a greater acceptance of socialism, it seems to be accelerating. Why now? So, I mean, really, the, what I call the Christian left, they've essentially exchanged the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for this Marxist holy trinity of diversity, uh, acceptance, and social justice. It, and, you know, if you look at Scripture, yes, there is elements that we we are generous, we share. But socialism is not about generosity. It's about forced redistribution based upon equity rather than equality. And I think that that's important to point out. You know, Jesus taught personal responsibility, something that most socialists, you know, really downplay if they even even, you know, uh, uh, hold to it all. And so the Christian message and the Jesus that we find in Scripture is not, it doesn't really have anything to do with socialism. And I think it's important that Christians educate themselves. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book, The Christian Left, is to really help people be able to sort fact from fiction in this time where liberal ideology is just so prevalent in our, in our culture. Okay, quickly then, how do we reverse this trend? So I think we reverse this trend, first of all, by, by asking tough questions about the churches that we attend. Are, are they following Scripture? Do they still promote the Word of God? Where do they stand on, on issues of, of gender and sexuality? Does it line up with the Bible? And also, you know, are they still standing, uh, you know, for pro-life issues, or have they succumbed to kind of liberal ideology in those areas? Those are three big litmus tests that I think we can look to to really see the direction a church is headed. Okay, the book is The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. Pastor Lucas Miles, thank you for setting us straight today. Thank you. Americans on the political left will tell you that Joe Biden is a much better presidential advocate for women's rights than Donald Trump was when he was in the White House. If that's true, then 
why did he sign an executive order on gender identity that allows biological males to unfairly compete against female athletes? Biden says he wants to end discrimination against trans people, but his order actually discriminates against females. Listen to Dr. Ryan Anderson of the Ethics and Public Policy Center. It's turning equality upside down. The entire reason we have separate male and female locker rooms and sports teams is that people with male and female bodies should have a certain amount of privacy and safety and fairness in competition. Federal agencies will have until the end of April to determine how to go about imposing Biden's order on groups that receive federal funds. They include businesses, schools, and even faith-based organizations. The president's order clearly contradicts Article 9, the historic law that paved the way for sports equality in 1972. Here's ADF attorney Christiana Holcomb. They've watched as young female athletes have lost out on medals, on podium spots, on championship opportunities. Title IX is clear that young women deserve to compete on a level playing field. The whole reason we have women's sports as a separate category is because of those physical differences between the sexes. And it's for those reasons that the state of Mississippi recently passed a bill banning transgender athletes from competing in female sports. Other states are considering similar legislation as a check against Biden's misguided policy. It is terribly misguided. The president is once again caving into the demands of extremists in his own party. You see, this order is so extreme, even feminist groups oppose it. That's because in Joe Biden's desire to bring about equal opportunity to a small minority, he's discriminating against the female majority. Transgenders are only about one-third of one percent of the U.S. population, about one million people. And biological females, they're about 168 million in this country. So let's see, imposing rights for one million people by violating the rights of 168 million. I don't understand that logic. Do you? Well, don't get me wrong. I'm not advocating that anyone mistreat transgenders, but females want a fair playing field so they may compete against athletes of the same biological sex. Not those who feel like they're females, but are really biological males. So at a time when we're all being told to look at the science, look at the science, Mr. President. You see, here at the Global Lane, we try to present these matters by sharing biblical truth. And the truth is, no matter how you feel about yourself, God made us in his image, male and female he made us. And no president, no one can change that reality, despite how they feel, what they may say, and no matter how many executive orders they may sign. Well, that's it today from the Global Lane. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, MeWe, Twitter, and now again on Parler. And until next time, be blessed.